Inside Talent is brought to you by Visage.jobs, crowdsourcing for sourcing. I'm Craig Fisher, and this is Inside Talent, where we take you into the minds behind the scenes and show you some of the coolest tools and best practices of some of the coolest people in the talent industry. Hey, it's Craig Fisher. I am here with Jenny Cody Kangas, better known as JCK. And she is a talent acquisition program manager. Uh, she does techie stuff for recruiting at Regis Corporation. Jenny, welcome. Tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Thanks, Craig. Um, hi, everybody who's out there. Uh, my name's Jenny, JCK for short. I am a program manager, which you're probably wondering, what does that mean? Um, I handle all of our tech experiences. And um, the way I explain it to my kids is I, uh, I'm, I maintain Iron Man suit. I'm a bit of a uh, Marvel nerd and um, it's been a good way for them to kind of understand this. So I, you know, if Iron Man needs a new guided missile system, I'm the person who finds that, that piece of technology and then integrates it into the suit um, and then make sure that the rest of the suit still works. Um, and, you know, with, with the suits that I build, um, I've got to make sure they fit. There's not a one-size-fits-all person. So that is a little bit of what I, about what I do. I work for Regis Corporation, and we have about just over 60 different brands in the um, hair space. And so a mixture of franchise and corporate and all sorts of fun. That is all sorts of fun. And I know that your industry, along with many others, has some significant uh, personnel issues right now, right? Trying to get people to apply for jobs, stay at jobs, um, not sit around and just take the uh, stimulus money that's floating around. Uh, we're all anxiously waiting to see what happens um, in September, see if things actually change or if stimulus gets extended. Uh, it's a crazy time right now. So, you know, what are some of the issues you're seeing and, you know, what are you doing about it? And, and from a tech perspective, are there things that, you know, you're finding that are helpful in getting people through the process? Absolutely. So um, important to note, we've got probably about 8,000 different locations. Wow. Um, not to mention, we've also got corporate and uh, education schools as well that we own. Um, and in that mix, we don't have recruiters. We don't have a single recruiter. And so the tech in my world is really important because the tech has to enable the recruiting to exist. And so it's really important that we get that tech right because unlike other industries where you might be able to tell, you know, the ROI of, um, of a hire, in my world, you can't open your doors if you don't have a stylist. Right. And so talent acquisition gets it's 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 a different ball game, right? Because right. I don't have profit if I can't if I don't have a stylus. I, I don't have a way many times to even open my doors. For example, um, certain states have different regulations where you need to have a manager license. And so, if I'm in a manager desert, how do I go about that? So it's been um, definitely unique, and um, it's been incredibly incredibly important that we get the tech right. And so, with that tech, it's really making sure you know I've got a chair in my office always. Um, it's that, you know, design for your user, design for your um, audience in mind. And my my users sit in that chair, not me. 
and I've got to build experiences for them to be able to understand hiring and hiring's not something many of them have done before. So it's, um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Store level hiring and recruiting is always, uh, interesting, right? Uh, so you and I talked about this. I, I worked with Best Buy, uh, years ago in Minnesota where you are, um, to sort of help fix their store level hiring because they, their HR, uh, ended up being people who got promoted from, you know, within the stores and, uh, all the hiring happened at thousands and thousands of locations, not from a central recruitment hub. And so you've got to have standards, right. That go, you know, across the entire net, uh, which is almost impossible to enforce. And, yeah. Yeah. right. And then you've got all this geofencing and regional, uh, location stuff that you have to accommodate for with, with tech and advertising and, uh, and things like that. And so it, it's tricky, but it's fun now. Uh, you know, one of the things that you end up with is how do you control things like, you know, are we making sure that our workforce and applicants and our job descriptions and, and everything are attracting a diverse workforce, right? Um, yeah. Well, then yeah. I'm going to put one more, you know, qualifier, big game changer on that. Now I have franchisees, right? So it's not, I can't mandate what you're doing from a hiring process. I've got to be the neck that turns ahead to get you to understand why you should even care about this world. Um, you know, why should you care about hiring? And so that storytelling piece, making sure that we're being incredibly crystal clear with the why behind um, first, so that we can get that buy-in for the how and the what, I think is really important too. So I've done a lot of work with franchisees. I've, I've worked for you know a lot of TGI Fridays, Subway, uh, companies like that, and in different industries as well, where they actually have brought me in to have these conversations with a whole room full of franchisees. And these franchisees, uh, a lot of them, you know, do very well. They own multiple stores and they, you know, they've, they've got their own problems, but they are thirsty for what the corporate entity can share, can help right? Can, you know, you're, you're like a shared service at this point that is supposed to be assisting them with their hiring, yet not necessarily telling them what they have to do exactly. And so yeah. is it complicated? Is it tricky? Um, yes, but it's also, so I like to solve um, hard nonlinear problems. Like that's what gets me excited. And so this has been an interesting one because there's so many facets to it that don't present on the front end that you don't even think about. And then you think, hey, I've got it right. And you might go to roll something out and be like, oh yeah, that was wrong. <laughs> so like failing fast and failing forward at every step in the game is so incredibly important because yeah. like the chances are you're not gonna get it right a hundred percent when you come out of the gates. That's right. um, and you've, you've gotta really continue to iterate um, you know, your go-to-market. So for example, uh, we were rolling out a beta development, a beta co-development with another vendor um, bringing franchisees to the table to build a solution that was going to help them for hiring. And um, I'm like, okay, we've got the right product. We've got the right this. We've got the right that. You know, all the things. Um, what I didn't account for was the design bias that my franchisees would have in their mind that said, when I get technology from Regis Corporation, it's not going to 
serve me. It's not going to, it's going to be clunky. Maybe it's not even going to work. And um, that, that design bias of like not understanding it was so important because what ended up happening is I turned to our vendor and said, okay, we're, we're going to try something new. I've got to get somebody into this tech experiencing it ASAP because I can't talk at them. I've got to allow the experience to, for them to experience this and then we can talk to them about it. And so we completely shifted the way that we went to market with that. And uh, we saw user adoption go from three days to 15 minutes. And it's like, that was just from the power of a what if, so. I love yeah. that. So this theory of design bias is, is wonderful. And I think, I think you're right. I think we do uh, go into the process of designing uh, recruitment or tech or whatever it is uh, based on what we've done before. And, uh, you know, I think you've told me that you think that puts up narrow guardrails. It definitely does. And so I, it, so just to square for everybody who's, who's tuning in, um, when I talk about design bias, what I mean by that, this is a term that's used by scientists a lot when they're looking at research. And so what are, what am I researching and am I biased in the way that I'm going about that research? Um, and in tech and especially in recruiting, the way that I can present itself is if I'm looking at building something new and something different, um, I tend to use my historical experiences to determine what success looks like in the future. And if I do that, that's shrinking my guardrails. Um, and so you can get the right people on either side of the table that understand design bias and are working like, you know, to overcome design bias. Um, but then you have to remember too that that your users or the humans that use your technology also have a design bias that you've got to work against too. And so you've got to make sure to overcome that hurdle as well. And so, um, you know, what does it look like to do something slightly different? You know, instead of looking at a process and being like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna change this lever or change that lever. Um, instead, I want to look at okay, what does success look like? So if Craig and I are working together. Um, Craig and I determine, you know, what success look like here for this organization. And then we make sure that that's calibrated across the entire leadership team, because success shouldn't just be the same for him and I, it also should be the same success for the CFO, for the CEO, for ops, for anybody else who's involved. So we want to make sure that that success is calibrated. And at that point, we're going to take that success and we're going to reverse engineer to figure out how to solve for it. And that's how you really kind of systematically build designer. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, franchisees will go rogue on you and go get their own tech if they have the bias that whatever you're going to give them doesn't work. Right. Uh, my right? Ultimately, my goal is to, and it's been a little different historically, but like I've got to meet and raise them to understand this. Mm -hmm. I got to teach them the why behind recruiting before I can even get them to be bought on like with what we're trying to do. So my first, um, my first uh, project actually in talent acquisition was with Panera Bread. And they hired me specifically because I was a project manager who had never worked in talent acquisition before. And um, their goal was to figure out what they were doing wrong with recruiting and um, specifically, you know, in their field source. And so I went in and, you know, what it ended up, what ended up coming from my discovery process was you're taking managers who have historically come from the fast food industry where you stand behind a counter and you don't engage with your customers and then we're tasking them with hiring and one of the areas that we're missing is the people who come to our stores every single solitary day 
and keep coming back. And so I should, so this kind of aha moment came forward of what if I taught them how to source? What if I taught them how to recruit? Step like, you know, outside of the, step out from behind the, um, you know, from the, behind the counter and go have those conversations. And I remember the first couple of managers that I did this alongside with, and a couple of them were really apprehensive about this. And I was like, what do you got to lose? Right. You know, I could be totally wrong, but like, what's the worst that could happen? And um, one of these actually happened in Apple Valley, not too far from here. And there was a table of five students who were doing, um, it was like a study session for Spanish and um, went up to them like, hey guys, what you working on? They're like, uh, Spanish? I'm like, sweet, what's your favorite, you know, who's your teacher? Cause I went to school around, I went to school in Apple Valley. And they said, Profe Swanson. I was like, oh my gosh, I had Profe too. Um, and they're laughing they're like, he was around that long ago. I was like, thanks, I'm not that old. But um, I said, do you guys have a job? They're like, actually we're looking for one. And I was like, wanna work here? They were like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, why not? It's like, see this guy right here? He's a manager, he's gonna interview you right now. Wanna step over there? And he did, and he ended up hiring four out of the five kids. And the only reason he didn't hire the fifth was because he wasn't looking for a job and he couldn't because of sports. But um, flash forward three years, uh, two of those people ended up actually moving into management. And so like the power of a what if, right? So just taking that time to teach the skills for what you need to do this yourself, teach Amanda Fish, essentially, mm-hmm. it's really powerful. And so often we're like, ooh, text, awesome. And it's seamless and it's great. But we also have to remember that there are humans that use it. And um, sometimes, you know, we can just teach them what we know. I love it. So <laughs> with, there's a book there, right? I think already. This is it. That's it. That's an amazing case study. Uh, all right. So with corporate owned stores and then franchise stores, um, how do you try to maintain uh, the culture? I mean, that's got to be interesting, right? And everybody has a different idea of what that should mean. And, you know, you and I have talked about the fact that culture fit is not a good thing. Yes. Oh, culture fit. That's one of my, um, that's one of my least favorite buzzwords. Um, and actually funny story recently, uh, Batman and I were, uh, backboarding on a, a new hiring solution that he was looking to build. And I gave him a hard time because he's like, yeah, I got to find some people to backboard with this. And I was like, why don't you ask me? And he's like, oh, I forget that you're tech. And I'm like, yes, I'm tech. That's what I do, goofball. Like, and so we end up jumping on this call and uh, Mike's taking me through the process, like start to finish. And I'm like, you know, animated and listening. And like, I talk with my hands and my nonverbals. You can typically tell what's going on. I don't play poker very well. Um, and he gets to one specific point and my face just goes dark. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa what was that? I was like, I'm sorry. I hate that word. And he's like, what? I was like, culture fit. I hate that concept. It's such a buzzword. It doesn't like, there's no universal definition. It means something different to everybody else. It's a way to, you know, performatively like say my decisions are okay. Um, There's just so many aspects to it and I hate it. And he's like, tell me more. I was, you know, and I said, Mike, it's really important when you're building a process that you get the labels, right? And you you find words that have definitions that don't have mixed meaning. For example, culture, 
can mean something differently to everybody who says it. Um, and so he asked some additional questions and I gave him my reasoning. He goes, okay, I get it. So what's the solution instead of culture fit? And I was like, ooh, that's a good question. Um, and we ended up coming and settling on um, the concept of a mirror. And so in an organization, um, if I'm looking for something that I already have in-house, whether it's a persona or whether it's um, a specific demographic or whatever it is, I put the mirror in front of that. And then I'm using that as the model for what I'm going to look out and hire. The flip side of that was a little harder to come and figure out. And that was the concept of a window. And Mike, I'm sorry for, I'm not stealing your thunder. This was 100% like mutually built. Uh, but uh, the concept of a window is you're from within the organization, you're strategically looking out at something you don't have and determining you want to go find it. Whether it's like, I'm, we need to increase diversity. I need to increase my neurodiverse hires. I need to find this specific persona or skill set. Um, but you don't have it within your organization. You're looking from the outside in. And so that was kind of the mirror, the mirror and window concept. Um, yeah. I love it. All right. So design bias and culture fit are bad. Well, design bias isn't necessarily bad. It's just something that you have. Gotta so be aware it's understanding of it. that you have it mm -hmm. in order to overcome it. If you're looking to build something out of the box and truly different. Mirrors are okay. Windows are better. Depends on what you're looking for. Again, like if I want to have a homogenous organization that is the same exact experience as everybody else, and that is my idea of success, you know what? A mirror is great. Um, but if you think that like, you know, collaboration exists better when we have diverse and inclusive, you know, organizations, yeah, Windows is going to be your best bet. I love it. It just sounds like something that you and Batman should talk about at TalentNet Live, November 12th. Oh, gosh, that would be a fun throwdown. <laughs> All right. I think it will be. All right, Jenny, Cody, Kangas, JCK, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Craig, this is awesome for everybody at home. I hope you're having a great day and go build things that are strong. Thank you for listening to Inside Talent. Learn more about the future of talent today at InsideTalent.org, where you can sign up for regular updates, and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.